Welcome to the Groundswell Podcast, produced by Faith First. With so much division in our world right now, we want to give people a resource to help us navigate the divisiveness. We believe there's a better way to live that allows us to not get caught up in division. We believe that when we put our faith first and divisive topics second, we can cross over divides to build unity and understanding with those around us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you'll keep coming back for more. Live faith first. Welcome to the Groundswell Podcast. I'm Elliot Sands, Executive Director of Live Faith First, and I'm with Paul Trudeau, CEO of City Hope San Francisco. Now, City Hope San Francisco is an innovative ministry focused on being the living room to those in the Tenderloin neighborhood that don't have enough living space. Now, that is a pretty uh, daunting mission statement you guys have there. Paul, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. I am uh, super excited for our conversation today. You're doing some amazing stuff. Um, but before we get into that, I'd love to hear mm-hmm. a little bit about your journey. Give us a cliff notes of your life. Where were you born? Oh. Kind of how'd you get where you are today? Give us yeah. the, the born stats. Santa Maria, California, the home of Tri-Tip. Uh, bounced around with my family until my family divorced. And then we, my mother took me and my brother to Oregon. Hillsborough, Oregon, and that's where I was raised in my during the school year. My father went to New Orleans, and so I spent hot, steamy summers in the Big Easy. So radically two different um, climates and cultures and families. But grew up, grew up going to a small little Baptist church, and my best friend was the pastor's son. So that I was blessed in having a really great church home um, that nurtured my faith and I, I it was safe and loving and uh, I was an artist I loved drawing all these things kind of led me to school to study art but over time uh, I just got the ministry bug and was doing more ministry on campus than studying you know that kind of thing but then I I met a girl um, on a short-term missions trip and she was going to Georgetown so packed up all my stuff went from San Jose all the way out to D.C. and married her four years later. In that time, I got a job in the Korean American church as a youth pastor. I am not Korean, um, so but I, I loved just seeing the gospel in a different culture and learning about Christ in a, in a different context. It taught me so much at that time. Went to seminary after that in Florida, Reformed Theological Seminary, and then got a job at uh, city church in san francisco and was an intern and they just kind of said why don't you just go do mercy justice stuff so i started hanging out with a lot of uh men and women in rehabs and i started worship services in san francisco county jail and i loved not only serving people in those spots i loved getting the church into those spots and pastoring people um, to build relationships and build healthy christ-centered community and hold people's hands while they saw things that broke their hearts too. So that's been a, a, a thread in my life that has been going for quite some time of, of loving people that are, are struggling, but also really helping people to build relationships with people that are in the struggle of being unhoused or struggling with addiction, poverty, illness, what it might, what it might um, look like in their life might be different, but just building community and teaching people how to love each other and serve each other has yeah. been a really fun thing. Yeah. yeah. Mar- married, the, married that woman from Georgetown, uh, brought her out here, two kids and 15 year old and a 12 year old. And 
uh, loving being a dad and a husband after 20 years is yeah. good stuff. That's awesome. So you've been all over the U.S. I've been around. And, uh, you, uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> you've hit the four quarters there. Yeah. And uh, you, you, got, you got somebody to, uh, to follow you around to a couple of those stops, too. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, that, that is pretty awesome. Now, you've been in the city now since, was it 2005? Yeah. when you arrived yep. in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, tell us just a little bit. I mean, we, we, you t- I already talked about a little bit about the, the living room for those who don't have enough living space. But yeah. tell us a little bit about City Hope. What's your your um, distinctives? How, what, what would you say? Yeah, I'd, I'd mobilized the church to serve in a lot of different nonprofits. And over time, I really wanted to create a a beautiful living room space where we could do more dinner parties. Um, I think that's the New Orleans in me. Um, (laughs) I wanted to do dinner with an emphasis on relationship, too. So food insecurity is real. It's one of the priorities we're hitting. But the top priority we're going for every time we open our doors is name recognition. So when our guests walk into our doors and they're typically coming either from the street and are unhoused or they're coming from really tiny, tiny um, hotel rooms called SROs, single room occupancy. They're very tiny, no living room, often no bathroom. in them. So they need more space and they're coming through our door. And the first thing we want to take from them and we do take from our guests is their name and we want to take their time. So we don't do fast food. We want the relationship. Um, and the meal is designed around that. So we're saying their name when they come in. A waiter is coming to them, you know, flowers, candles on the table. And we're taking their name again, giving them options. What do they want to eat? Slowing everyone down in that process. And for those who are volunteering who aren't from the Tenderloin, I mean, that menu is a script where you're learning just to get over your own personal bias and connect with our unhoused neighbors. Um, and you have a couple lines to say about, you know, if we're having, you know, sandwiches or, uh, you know, soups or whatever, it's like offering two different options, salad dressings, all that slows people down. So emphasis on choice there too. And then the karaoke starts and then the movie starts, you know, so it just works. And it was something that was, was, kind of on my heart wanting other organizations to do for a while and then I realized like oh good one god uh this is the thing you put on me my heart which means it's got to be on my shoulders the responsibilities and you know when I did that took that dive and that was 2014 of raising money 2015 we opened that space I also had seen a lot of people relapse and recidivize um that I loved and I wanted to get some housing and par- pair that housing and and development with the relief work that we do through meal service and things like that. So we got a hotel one year after that, which blew my mind because I wow. thought it wouldn't it be cool if we got a house and we got one of these SROs and we do two, two year uh, transitional sober living for people, which wow. is in very short supply here in San Francisco. Um, there's a lot of rehabs, but once you graduate that rehab, there's not a lot of like next step in your sobriety support and your recovery capital. So we did that. Fast forward, COVID hit. Um, there's a restaurant below the the top part of this building that I I my my friend was running, um, and unfortunately that uh, went out of business during COVID, as many businesses did. But we took over that space and we turned it into a coffee house. So we're doing lattes and um, 
breakfast items we're, we're doing. We, we host a Jewish deli with the Jewish community here. We do AA meetings down there. But often what we're saying to people is good morning and good night um, through breakfast and dinner and training ourselves to know our neighbor by saying their name at least four times. And for those of you who have not been to City Hope, when you picture a place for the unhoused to gather, um, you're maybe picturing something from the Depression era, you know, just a dingy, yeah, gross, like flickering sticky. fluorescent lights, right? And uh, Great this soup being poured into a cup. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, cor- correct that image because your yeah. coffee house is incredible. Your chef is amazing. So I mean, yeah. what you're producing and providing, it it is an honoring meal it's an honoring cup of coffee it's it's not a uh you know as a missionary kid every once in a while you get a a a barrel and they'd be like used pencils in it right and like socks Uh, used tea bags i've heard that one from yes famous used yes i know like why like my whole thing elliot is like if i want i want people to feel loved by the beauty around them um, and when they're, they come into the cafe, it's a brass bar. I mean, we polish the brass on our bar. And so they get a bar. They get a coffee house experience just like anyone else would. When we first open up, it doesn't say rescue mission or anything like that on the outside. People didn't know if it was for them. And it's still like my number one compliment almost is when a new person walks in, an unhoused neighbor, they walk in and they say, is this for me? And you know it, and they're timid. And I had a guy the other day say, are, are you sure it's free? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he asked me a second time, it's free. I was like, yes. Because they're not used to this much attention to detail and intention for them to feel centered in a magical moment. Yeah. So a lot of what we're doing is just basic uh, hospitality that they just don't get often. Yeah. Um, they're often flattened down to what is your problem and how, how do we fix you? And yeah. as a person of faith, that one of the, the, the theological cores to my soul is I'm not here to fix you. I, I, I can't fix myself. It's love thy neighbor as thyself. So if it was fix thy neighbor as you have fixed yourself, I would, I would, quit. I can't fix me. I can't fix you. But God has called me to love my neighbor. And this is how I want to be loved. I want to be treated with with the dignity that is inherent in my soul because I am a child of God no matter what I'm going through. Yeah. So giving people that experience is just a blast. Yeah. And when you do that, and I'd love to hear some feedback, you, you do give people the dignity and respect that as a image bearer of God, they, they have, they, 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 I don't have to give it. I'm just, just, I'm just trying to help them feel it, see it as I need it too. And one of the things that happens in society in any number of arenas, unhoused homeless is a big one, but we do the othering thing, right? Well, whether it's the other political party, right? And mm-hmm. now I am going to demonize that other political party because 
they are evil and they are bad. And how could they think that it could be another ethnicity in a neighborhood that mm -hmm. I don't live in? It could be I mean, you fill in the blank. Right. And of course, mm -hmm. the unhoused, I think, get that a lot. Can you describe they kind of how doing the other when you the impact of humanizing somebody has on recovery? Mental yeah. well-being, just their 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 confidence, maybe. Can you yeah. talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, we we have inherent bias in, in our brains. Like we we have inherent racism. We have inherent bias, and so this is. They've studied this about you know we people that don't look like us. We don't feel as comfortable around. That's in our brains. Um, the unhoused, we have massive bias towards them. It's a, a fight or flight thing does happen in your brain. And you have to, you have to break through that to not other them. And the way we do that here is by first, what's your name? Mm. Saying someone's name makes them known and you know them, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. So, and then, and then it's listening. So again, it, it sounds simple, because it is simple, I guess, but it's in short supply, like prioritizing them in the moment and listening. And it's just, what's your name? Are you a vegetarian? Do you like cream in your coffee? All these little tiny, this is where you start. You start with the small stuff and you listen well and you lean in. And then as you get to know each other, you understand these people naturally start to tell their story. Uh, we, I had a, a gentleman just this past week who, who was very, I've known him for years. He's very quiet, didn't say anything. And we had an event where he, he opened up and he said, I was incarcerated at age 17 into my thirties. I'd never heard that before. Wow. And, and he's like, and this is why I do this. And this is why I do. And I was like, wow, just the honor of being trusted with something like that took so much time too, but i have like, I see you and I'm delighted that you trust me yeah, and that we've created an environment that's safe and you're centered in that moment. And so just having those moments, you're like, oh, that's th this gentleman's name is Mario. And that, that's just Mario. Yeah. You know, it's not the, the guy that um, I, I'm sizing up. It's my friend. Yeah. So if, when you get to that, and this is what, you know, people of faith, this is our faith journey with all other humans, too, is you have to create strangers become friends, friends become family, because we know in our, our deep theological roots, you know, that we are all family. Yeah. So, but you got to get there. You've got to lean in, you got to listen. And then a lot of things, too, when you see people's, you know, they're hurting themselves and their addiction. There's tons of addiction here. You start to realize why they're self-medicating. Hmm. And it's hmm. just to understand it gives you more compassion. And the phrase empathetic imagination is one I really love. Like you, you have to grow your empathy imagination and say, well, what would I have done? Oh, I probably would have done the same thing quite often, or at least I understand why they turned left when I turned right in life, you know, things like that is part of the, the journey. And so a lot of the work that I've done over the years, is like, oh, you, you see the meal and you see that you can count 
how many people you fed or the showers we gave that day or blah, blah, blah. But what, what really excites me is the relationships yeah. and, and just getting to really know someone as a, a family member. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. I love it too. When the people that we serve become the servers, you know, that's a really <laughs> fun thing too. And they're just, they're the ones in the cafe today. Um, there's a couple that came that used to be served and all of a sudden they're like, can I volunteer? I'm like, yes, I absolutely need you. I have not enough money to run any of this. <laughs> yeah. All those, all those things are, are part of the wonderful journey of getting to get beyond the othering yeah. and create community and Christ-centered community yeah. is the best. Yeah. I'm going to ask about some maybe misconceptions that the average person walking down the street, seeing a homeless person has. Mm -hmm. um, I've been learning about ACE, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences Score. And uh, it's mm -hmm. basically, I think it's eight or 10 points. And basically they look at if a person be between zero and 17 experienced neglect, violence in their home, addiction in their home, death of a family member, mental health problems uh, in their home, you know, with their parents or a family member or a loved one or whoever they're living with or an unstable home due to changing home environment. That could be somebody going to prison, that could be divorce, whatever that might be. But the higher the score, it incrementally increases addiction. Actually, incrementally, it, significantly, if you have a four or higher, your chances of having cancer increase by 200%. So, I mean, there's all of these things, and they also find that in a lot of the homeless population, that score is four or higher. In other words, mm -hmm. there was a lot of adverse childhood experiences that they experienced in the first 17 years of our life. And so I want that as to kind of lead into a little bit like mm – -hmm. What, I mean, I've heard things that you kind of know are misconceptions, and maybe there's a piece of the population where it is true. But what what are some misconceptions you've either heard or you want to kind of push back against that we might have, like in society as general around the unhoused population? Ooh, that's a big question. Um, I guess. A good starting point for anyone that we serve is to admire them as a survivor, to your point. You just don't know what he, they're surviving. But if they told you their story, and when they do tell me their stories, I'm often like, my rea my first thing that I go to and tell them, I'm glad you're, you're here. And I mean alive here. Yeah. And I've had so many people well up in tears when you're just admiring them for surviving what they've survived. Mm. So you're not, pro you're not making a project out of them, but you're just saying, wow, the fact that you're alive and breathing is the grace of God. Mm. And to even celebrate people for being survivors, they're still in the storm. They're still hurting. Um, they're still at risk. Um, uh, but just to like slow it down in the moment and say, Hey, you're a survivor and I admire you for that. Hmm. It, it, that changes things that builds trust with people. So I think sometimes we just look at, um, again, look at people and go to their problem and then say, how do I fix you? And that's not love. 
that's a project and projects, you know, they stop. Whereas you should, or at least they should, any project is like, it has a yes. time frame, yes. right? And sure. that's so dishonoring to who they are too. So to come to them, admire them, appreciate the moment with them. And, and then also just be curious about what is their dream for their life? I don't think a lot of people are asked, what, what do you want? You know, that question's not asked enough. It's more projected upon them that this is what you, you clearly need to do this, you know? So instead of looking at people with that lens, you should just look at them as, as again, always a child of God, no matter how they treat you or how they treat themselves. Right. Cause I've had great experience. I've had horrible experiences in this work with other humans, but to, to look at them and to say, I admire that you've, what you have survived. I don't fully understand it or would even know it yet, but man, I bet you will have some stuff. Yeah. And then to build that trust from there. And then when people come to you with their dream, they trust you and they're looking for a resource or a door to be open in some way. And that's always an honor to me too. It's just like, wow. Okay. Maybe I thought you, you should do this, but you want and actually need to do this. And you know yourself better than, you know, you're, you're your own guide uh, yeah. on what you need. Wow. The, the question of, you know, what do you wish would happen or what do you dream or what is your dream? Um, it, it, it's, it's something that I, I think most people don't sit down and spend much time with. Um, we get caught up in the what I have to do today. Yeah. Uh, and even more so when you're either in poverty or unhoused. There's no bandwidth. You're, you're, you're literally daily in survival mode. I, I need yeah. to make enough today to keep the lights on, or I need to find a place to sleep tonight because the storm is coming in or, you know, whatever the, 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 the urgent physical need is. Mm -hmm. And that question in and of itself to me gives us gives a person dignity and humanity. Like you are a human, you are allowed to have a dream. Mm -hmm. uh, now, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't dream of being an NBA star because let's not have absolutely ridiculous dreams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's, there was no athletic ability that was ever leading me there. And now at this age, that's never going to happen. But there are some dreams which are attainable, right? There are yeah. some dreams where I would love to have just a roof over my head. You know, I would mm -hmm. love to have a bank account that has an extra hundred dollars in it. Um, mm -hmm. I would love, you know, some of those things, which to a lot of people aren't a big deal, but if you don't have those things, they're significant. I want to switch gears with you a little bit. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to eventually move us over to kind of some spiritual questions here. One of the things that I, I've heard regularly about Santa Clara County. And then I looked up with San Francisco County spending on homeless, either services. And it's, it's wide ranging, everything from hospital stays to when the fire department needs to show up to all of these things. But Santa Clara County, which is uh, 20, 30, 40 miles south of you in San Francisco, mm -hmm. spends just over half a billion dollars annually on homeless services. And then San Francisco County was three quarters of a billion dollars 
uh, for I think it was a 2023 budget. Um, I, you know, maybe I, I'm off by a tinge, but yeah. the point is, we are spending as a community significant resources to help our unhoused neighbors, and I love that you use that term because it actually also gives them humanity that they are a neighbor, mm -hmm. right? But just a simple forward question: Can we end homelessness? Like, is it is it is it possible? Uh, can we spend our way out of homelessness? Oh boy, uh, you definitely can't spend your way out of homelessness because um, it's a like as a Christian, I think everything's about relationships. Relationships with the you, you, the relationship you have with yourself, with your neighbor, and with your God, right? Um, I out of that money, I get zero of that. <laughs> First of all, I want to say that uh, we, we have a $2 million budget and we're off the grid of the systems. Wow. And I've had a couple close encounters with taking that check from two different departments at, in San Francisco. And some of the best money is the money you don't take. Um, it's true for us. And I, I say that because it would have twisted our culture and it would have... I would have had to change my priorities of how I served uh, my unhoused neighbors and I wasn't going to do it. And I'm so glad we haven't uh, because a lot of it is, is it is heavy spending for resources as if resources are what was the one thing that was missing for people. And even housing I've seen, there's people that are, you can give them housing and I'm not saying you, I don't believe in giving housing at all. Don't hear me wrong. But right if there's not relationships around the resources and healthy community, everything always falls apart. Our mental health falls apart. And so I say that we, we, we should also, we should always prioritize things in the budget, but it comes down to people. It just comes down. Even who, how are we holding the city together relationally? And I just see two where I get frustrated is just the money my tax dollars included just going out the door and then find seeing these resources on the street. Cause it doesn't make somebody feel loved just because you give them something. It's cause you look them in the eyes and you care and you listen. So it's a both and, and often we're just thinking that if somebody had more then they would, they would be able to, get beyond um, the streets. And that's just not true. They, yeah. The more that they need is always relational. So yeah, I, I, I like our $2 million budget as a bit of an agitator also, because I, with every politician that has come through here and head of a department, I'm just like, look at what we're doing with $2 million. And I've had people from departments before, like pull me aside and say, don't, don't take any money. <laughs> I was like, what? No, I want money. It's this is stressful. Uh, uh, all that. But they were what they were saying is like, don't screw this up. Yeah. What you're doing with two million dollars is so what we're doing with two million is really effective because we keep prioritizing the relationship and a relationship's a hard thing to measure and and check a box on, especially in the grant system. Right. Yeah. Um, the numbers that we often report back to City Hall are are inflated all over the place. And some of them are just so meaningless. Like I can feed I could feed 200 people 
you know, in a dinner tonight. And if I hurt everyone's feelings, <laughs> it doesn't matter that their stomachs are f- filled. If yeah. I just made them feel less than, yeah, I failed. Yeah. I I have this this theory, and since you're an expert in this realm, I I'd, I'd love you'd either shoot it down so that I don't have to spout this off anymore. Okay. Or you affirm it. And then I'll just feel better about the idea that I You'll have. feel like a genius. I've been saying it you know, all over the place and people always agree with me, but I don't know if I'm right or not. So cool. uh, I do that all every day. I think right? <laughs> I got yeah. a hunch. <laughs> got the sneaking suspicion. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a physical aspect to every human. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we all agree with that. Um, and, and a lot of, and I'll combine this with kind of what we were talking about, about dollars being spent. A lot of our daughter dollars go to the physical aspects of how do we help people who are unhoused. Um, and then there's a, the mental, emotional aspect of every human. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there are a, a good amount of funds going to that area as well. The mental, emotional, um, but it feels to me like it's it's a two-legged stool and we're missing the third leg. And you keep saying relationships, so possibly I need to add a fourth stu- a fourth leg to that stool. But we often don't combine the spiritual side of things, especially, of course, when we're talking about uh, local government systems and, and so on. And, mm-hmm. and, and I understand that, why that is. But in your experience... How important is it to also add, and again, maybe there's a fourth leg that needs to be put on, which is a relationship leg, although I think that might fit under the kind of the, that emotional yeah. side. To- totally. And spiritual, I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. How important do you think the spiritual aspect is to helping people kind of either get out of their, their, their current situation or have the courage to, what does that look like kind of in your experience? Well, in recovery, that's well documented, right? You have to, you start with the higher power and I'm not it, right? Whatever, you know, yeah. and they, they let people claim all kinds of higher powers, but it is a faith journey. Um, for me, I couldn't do this work without faith um, and my spirit being, you know, continuously um, encouraged and broken over and over again. That's the journey. So being in tune with that type of, of reality of what what is it that I, I am looking for from God? Mm-hmm. Or where is God leading to me? Maybe God is leading me to great joy in this work. Um, or God might be saying, don't turn away. Keep looking at that, even mm-hmm. while it's breaking my heart. Because God's saying, it's breaking my heart. I need you to see it. I need you to feel what I feel, you know, to be in unity with your God. And I, I said it to my staff just yesterday, They're like, I don't know how you would do this work without some type of faith system. Um, because where are you going? What, you know, what is faith? It's what we can't see yet. Yeah. Um, and why would we do this work if we were like, nah, that's good. <laughs> you know, like we're always putting our faith um, into the work. Yeah. And I'm always curious of, okay, everybody's got some faith. What are you putting your faith in? Right. And how's it doing? Right. You know, right. is it carrying you forward or is it hurting you? Yeah. Because it's not stable. It's not inspiring. It's not healing. Um, so, yeah, I, 
I can't do this work without my spirit being um, cared for and nurtured and healed and inspired and called and all, all those things. Yeah. Um, and there's so many times that happens um, in a week that it, there's so many things that like, man, there's so much more going on here than I can even fathom and understand. So you can kind of understand the physical, you can kind of understand the emotional, uh, you know, but so, there's spiritual things happening here. Um, yeah. And yeah. I don't even fully understand it, you know, but every now and then God shows me something, leads yeah. me to do something that is not of me. Yeah. And of course, love is spiritual to me. Like love, I am not the creator of love. You know, I think sometimes we've, this this world teaches you that love is like something that comes out of you. I It's something that, is God in the Christian faith and flows through us. The spirit of love, of peace, of grace, all these things flowing through. What an honor it is to have that flowing through your spirit and you're in unity with God in that. So, yeah, I forget the question, but I like Jesus too. And I love my spirituality. It keeps me going every day. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we don't, we, Oftentimes when we're trying to face really difficult human things like uh, addiction, mental illness, poverty, you know, the systems aren't built with a spiritual lens Um, there. I will say in San Francisco right now, the interfaith council is being called upon more and more. And I love it. Um, I don't love the situation we're in at all. Um, Revenue is, you know, horrible right now nobody's everybody left during covid and we have so much vacancy here so the city's telling us the faith community that is like we need you we need you and it's time for us to step up and say yeah we have faith yeah Uh, we love this city because we know god loves this city yeah and i'm that that excites me. We're we're experiencing a similar thing in in San Jose, Santa Clara County, around mm-hmm. getting um, the faith community having a big a, a bigger voice and, and a bigger partnership um, in in some of these initiatives in our city. And so um, it's it's really really it, that's that excites me because I yeah. feel like it, it actually gives us a chance, and I feel like it's a short window. Um, i.e. revenue picks up, maybe that changes, (laughs) i.e. depends on who's sitting in what seats in the city government at any given time. But when we have those windows, if we can keep pushing the ball down the field, right? And Mm -hmm. and not lose our distinctive as followers in Jesus along the way. Because I think sometimes we get there and we're like, okay, well, let me pull back my faith. And this, and, and yet that's actually the reason that I think we've maybe been given entrance in there is because of that. Now mm-hmm. this doesn't turn, make it that we turn this into a evangelistic, you know, crusade there. But on the other hand, to unabashedly be a follower of Jesus as we serve in our communities, yeah, I, I think doesn't an honor. And, and again, it's not to say, Hey, if you don't believe in Jesus, I don't give you a bowl of soup. It doesn't mean yeah, if, you, know, if, if you won't listen to my sermon, then I'm going to withhold like, no, 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 no. This is we're here to love and serve you, but you also need to know that the reason I'm here is because of my faith in Jesus. And if you ever want to know more about that, I would love to have a conversation yeah. with you about about how important Jesus has been in my my journey in this life. Yeah, 
Um, and this is like every time we pray with our volunteers, it doesn't matter if it's a corporate team or, or, you know, an, another faith tradition coming through too. We pray with our volunteers and we pray with our guests when we, you know, before we serve, we pray, we pray before we eat and, and we're doing the gospel because this is good news. You can just feel it in the room that we're doing goodness together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But for me, I'm just, I'm comfortable in my faith and this has worked for me. And my thing has always been, if you, if you got something better, uh, tell me, tell me it. <laughs> All ears. Yeah. Like, is there something better than Jesus's story? Uh, life, death and resurrection. I like, I'm a fan, yes. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, oftentimes, you know, I just open it up, make space for people, uh, be confident in, in Christ um, because you're just loving Christ and having a having a good time, you know, uh, following Christ. So, yeah. yeah. All right, Paul. Got one more question for you. This is the last okay. one. All right. You ready? Wait, what I am is... not ready. Let me let me do this. I just got to plug in my computer real quick. So, so, un, so unprofessional of me. <laughs> but it'd be worse if the computer died. Okay. Yes, we'll, we'll keep the video, the audio, everything is still going. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and I just heard it go live. All right. You got juice going. All right. Um, final question. Uh-huh. What is something that is exciting you right now? What is something that charges you mm -hmm. up? It could be a family related. It could be a Bible verse. It could be a project you're working on. It could be, you were telling me earlier, your son's wrestling. I, you know, I don't know. What, what's something that's exciting you right now that you're like, oh man, every time I think about that, I get a smile on my face. I'm, a, I, it's a little bit, it's, I would, maybe not the word excitement is the, but um, I am practicing uh, self-compassion for myself and slowing down. And I'm, I'm telling myself right now, accept the love from this community. Um, there was a guy that hit me with a stick on the top of the head. Uh, Cause we stopped serving pancakes a couple of weeks ago. It was, um, I knew this was going to happen eventually <laughs> something like this. And, um, and it, there was blood involved and but man, that you should have seen the community that we hold here come around me and just they've for weeks well this happened like 10 days ago i guess for 10 days they've been coming up to me how are you doing how are you doing and i'm the i'm a you know a two on an enneagram i'm a i'm a caregiver so i'm used to being like how are you doing how are you and that's my default energy drive but i'm telling myself right now no listen to what they're they're saying they're saying i love you i love you and accepting love is, is just as important as giving. It's that reciprocity that you build in life and you, in the communities you, you get to hold and journey with. So I'm accepting that. Um, That's awesome. I had, I had, I'll just tell you one last story on this. Uh, I had a woman today go, I do this calendar, one of these calendars. I always, this is my art degree from San Jose State at work, <laughs> but I love putting together a calendar. And she was looking at the February one because it's the start of February. And she goes, You should take a picture of yourself with the 49ers helmet on. <laughs> and that way, if he tries to hit you again, you'll be fine. <laughs> She goes, is that okay for me to make a joke? And I was like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. So uh, 
I think I think it's just it's just right now what I'm excited about is receiving. Yeah. And being humble about that and saying, yeah, I need to be loved. Yeah. Um, I need to experience God's love through those who uh, have even bigger issues going on in their lives than I really have right now. They they're loving on me right now. So that's yeah. that's the tender moment that I'm 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 rejoicing in. Yeah, that's so good. And it does give us practice to accept the love that the father has for us, the love that, you know, God has for us too. And it comes uh, through the, you know, in, in areas and arenas that you just don't, that's grace, right? Like, wow. Yeah. I didn't know today I would laugh about getting hit on the head <laughs> and bleeding and, you know, and like, yes. <laughs> Oh, Paul, thank you so much for joining this podcast. Um, would you give us just a little bit about, uh, just quick, your URL for City Hope SF, if yeah. somebody were, wanted to check out more because you can volunteer there. Obviously, donations are accepted. Um, what's your what's your guys' URL? Yeah, we're easy to find if you just put City Hope and not City of Hope. Uh, that's cancer research, so we haven't gotten into that field yet. But if you Google City Hope San Francisco, you can find us. But it's cityhopesf.org okay. is our, our website. And we are we run off of volunteers. We love bringing people of privilege in and getting them um, to become servants of those who are who are coming in off the streets and building community. So if anyone wants to learn how to make a latte uh, and pour a good cup of strong coffee or uh, serve a meal, um, these things we do, we need volunteers all the time. And, and we are privately funded too. So like the generosity of people that care um, is, is what keeps us going. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, folks go check that out. And uh, today, everybody let's go live faith first. Hey, thanks for listening to our Groundswell podcast. If you found this podcast helpful, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Reviews help other people find us, and we're trying to get the word out. We would love it if you would also share this episode on your social or your favorite text chain. Make sure to check out our weekly Groundswell videos at our YouTube channel. We make it easy for you to find all of our socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. It's all at Live Faith First. Even our website is livefaithfirst.org. So wherever you're searching for us, type in Live Faith First. You'll find us there. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you in a few weeks. In the meantime, live faith first.